Shabbat Shalom, good Shabbos everyone, and Mazel Tov. I was thinking about archaeology this past week, and I thought it might be nice to find a joke or two to tell you, but the truth is, over the course of searching for something funny to say about archaeology, I discovered that it's not a very funny line of work. But since I'm not one to give up easily, here's my pick. An archaeologist was digging in the Negev Desert in Israel, not far from the area where David had killed Goliath, and he came upon a casket containing a mummy. After examining it, he called the curator of a prestigious natural history museum. I've just discovered, he said, a 3,000-year-old mummy of a man who died of heart failure, the excise sign. Shabbat Shalom, good Shabbos, everyone, and Mazel Tov. I was thinking about archaeology this past week, and I thought it might be nice to find a joke or two to tell you. But over the course of searching for something funny to say about archaeology, I discovered that it's not a very funny line of work. But since I'm not one to give up easily, here's my pick. There was an archaeologist who was digging in the Negev Desert in Israel, in the location where David famously had killed Goliath. And he came upon a casket containing a mummy. After examining it, he called the curator of a prestigious natural history museum. I've just discovered, he says, a 3,000-year-old mummy of a man who died of heart failure. The curator replied, bring him in immediately and we'll check it out. And a week later, the amazed curator called the archaeologist and said, you know you were right about the mummy's age and you were right about the cause of death. But how in the world did you know what he died of? Easy, the archaeologist said. There was a piece of paper in his hand that said, 10,000 shekels on Goliath. Now I confess to a love for archaeology, but particularly biblical archaeology. There is a special look on my wife's face when this month's biblical archaeology review lands at our mailbox. In truth, I can't pinpoint what exactly her expression is saying because it's a bit of a moving target but I can catch flashes of bewilderment, resignation, and pity. As in, what kind of person reads this stuff anyways? But I'll tell you what I love about it. You see, while all archaeology looks to open the past to us, I think biblical archaeology looks to do something that other forms of archaeology don't do. When people dig up dinosaurs, pre- and proto-human remains, or coins and spears from the Roman and Persian period, they look to discover what was happening at a certain moment, or perhaps discover something we never knew existed, like a new species, or that the Roman Empire one time stretched as far as London and Portugal. But digging and opening the ground and finding the fallen walls of Jericho, or King David's palace, or discovering a coin celebrating the Maccabees freeing Jerusalem, says something else. Because biblical archaeology is an act of discovery, and rediscovery. It is a moment of fact and a moment of truth. In other words, I do not believe the world and universe were created in six days. I do not believe that Adam and Eve ever lived. I do not believe that there was a Garden of Eden. No matter how many people go to Turkey and climb Mount Ararat looking for Noah's Ark, it won't bend me to considering that the story happened in the way that it is told to us. Did the Israelites leave Egypt the way it is described in the Torah, 
I have my doubts. But do I believe that they had been there and they left despite the wishes of the Egyptians? I do. Did Moses spend 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai huddled with God recording law? Did the Israelites wander for 40 years in the Sinai before entering the Promised Land? The medieval Italian commentator Sforno says that the number 40 is just a metaphor saying a long time, as in Moses was up there for a long time, as in the Israelites wandered for a long time. And since there is no consistent measurement of what a long time is, let's just say the message was meant to be more symbol than real. When David fights Goliath, we are told Goliath was nearly nine and a half feet tall in a time when the average person's height was under five feet tall. Do I think Goliath was actually close to ten feet tall? Do you? And yet, despite these apparent, seeming inconsistencies and fallacies, I believe that the Torah is true. And how is it that I can speak of truth when the facts are iffy at best? Because let us be warned not to confuse fact and truth. After all, just because something isn't factual doesn't mean that it's not true. The famous Israeli writer Amos Oz writes in Tale of Love and Darkness that the more factual something is, the less true it becomes. Because facts are the kinds of things that we fill spreadsheets and statistical models with. Facts make our computers run and planes fly. Facts fill our medicines and our machines. Facts tell us how things happen. But there is not a fact in the world that will explain to you why you love someone. Facts won't help you understand your fears or dreams. Facts won't make good people into better people. And facts won't inspire you to stand up if the tragedy has felled you to your knees. In order for something to be true, it has to draw out something about us. Speaking ideas of why we are and what we're searching for. True, sometimes people searching for facts end up finding truths. But remember always that facts change, and yet truths don't. The Torah, the Hebrew Bible, is a document of profound human truth. It tells the kind of truth that, as the ancient Greeks once said, that if you change the names, the story is yours. And that's the, the discovery the Torah provides to us. I remember the first day I went to Israel. I was 15 years old at the time, and they had a day booked at some archaeological dig somewhere. We had to get up early. The ride there was long. The air conditioning on the bus was non-existent, as was the bus driver's deodorant. When we got there, it was blazing hot, and we were given a brush, a bucket, and instructions of what to do if we find something. One of the junior researchers looked our way and shook their head and said, not to worry, we won't be finding anything anyways. And hours go by and we're all getting tired. The final call was given with a 10-minute last call before we were supposed to pack up. I went back to work and I brushed some earth and heard something. It didn't sound like the rock and sand that I had been brushing before and it didn't feel like them either. And I carefully brushed some more and realized that it didn't look like rock or sand either. So I raised my hand and I yelled out. The instructor, the instructor came over and brushed it clear and told me, told me to lift it out of the earth. It was half 
of a clay oil lamp. And he turned to me and said, you know that you're the first person to touch that in over 2,000 years. It reminds me of the same feeling I get when I walk through Jerusalem and touch the old stones. I'm sure it is the feeling that comes over you where you land in Israel too. A feeling of not just knowing, but re-knowing. Of not simply discovering, but rediscovering of what it all means. Because the truths of who we are are true no matter what an archaeologist brush picks, discovers, or doesn't discover. The truth of the story of creation tells me that we are not an accident and that God loves us. The truth of the story of the slavery and exodus from Egypt reminds me of our people's ability to not be ashamed of who we are and what we come from. It is where you are heading that matters the most. Moses' ascent to Mount Sinai teaches us that when humans soar, that we must come back down to earth. And David taking down of Goliath is a story of believing that the human heart is our largest tool in our fight to have a good life. So how do we find these truths? Seeing a coin or an oil lamp make these old truths feel new and reminds us that these truths aren't and weren't just ours. Remember that they inspire those who came before us to grow and love and write and survive and fight. You know, it was in the mid-1960s that Israel's most acclaimed archaeologist was a man named Yigal Yadin. He was also a general in the Israeli army and that in between the wars of 1948 and 1956 and 67 and 73, Yigal Yadin would lower his weapons and pick up brush and spade to uncover the past. He turned his attention to a deserted palace outcrop in the Negev Desert called Masada. Along with dozens of volunteers, they marked and indexed and recorded every inch of the site. The story of Masada had been written by the Roman historian Josephus, but no one had found proof that the story that he wrote about was factual. And as Yigal Yadin and his team of archaeologists dug through, they discovered cooking utensils and pottery shards and food stores, all the kinds of things that you would expect to find in an archaeological dig. But none of it was particularly exciting. None of it was particularly truthful. But Yadin wrote in his book that one morning he woke up early, long before the others were to get up. The sun was just rising over the desert horizon, and he took his brush and picked with him to an area that he hadn't been to before. Bent on his knees, he starts to chip and brush, chip and brush. The reddish-brown earth moving away with the movement of his hand. He then sees something black, and he leans over and blows away the dust. He brushes some more and finds a black mass. And very carefully, working for the next half hour, he eventually begins to pull it out of the ground, and as he holds it in front of his hands, he loses his breath. He sees that it was a pair of tefillin, the black boxes and straps that Jews wear every weekday for their morning prayers. Ayadin writes that he slumped to the ground, and holding on to those black boxes, he began to cry. He knew they had been owned by someone who wore them with great devotion and had put them on for that last morning before the Romans came to destroy them. Our past is both answer and question. It speaks to us. When that half-broken clay lamp came out of the ground, I teared up, and I heard it ask me if I could be and would be worthy of their effort. 
It asked me as it asked Yigal Yadin, could I leave something behind that would mean something to someone after me? It is a question that is asked of you. It is a question that tells us that the direction of your soul is the direction of your life. And if you find these truths, you will find your life. Shabbat Shalom.